A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maybe. Concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 403. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television. And this time we are talking about Bagpuss. This is Ryan from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. This is a BBC children's show from 1974. It had a total of 13 episodes. They were only 15 minutes long, each one. And they used a variety of animation styles, in particular stop motion work, to tell some charming folk tales and used a mixture of color and some things with black and white and sepia tones and this sort of thing. And this is a show, not the first we've covered, from small films with Peter Furman and Oliver Postgate behind it. Yes, we've decided to stick with small films and cover their shows, as listeners can probably tell. And this is, as you say, Bagpuss. This is possibly one of the best-remembered children's television shows on this side of the Atlantic, Brian. This has got a remarkable reputation for the fact that it's actually quite a short show. Yes, they didn't actually make all that much of it. So it is interesting to see that. And the previous small films show we've covered, we've covered one before, and that was The Clangers. Indeed. So let's talk about the setup for Bagpuss. It's explained to us at the start of every episode by the reassuring tones of Oliver Postgate's narration that a young girl called Emily has a sort of a shop that's not a shop. And in the window of this shop, it displays a variety of objects, including a number of toys and sort of carved figures that feature on part of the settings and decorations of this shop window. Yes, they are all things that someone has lost and Emily has found, and they are left for their owners to find them and come and pick them up. And one of the things there is a saggy old cloth cat baggy and a bit loose at the seams and that is bagpuss the title character indeed yes the 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 titular bagpuss a remarkable character at the center of this show yes and here we would call bagpuss a stuffed cat or maybe a plush cat they're using the term a cloth cat yes that's right a baggy old saggy old cloth cat here but you say it's a stuffed animal toy exactly and emily brings these lost items and they are usually repaired or inspected in the process of each episode we have bagpuss waking up and you know coming to life and speaking and other creatures in the shop coming to life and speaking as well and telling the story that they find from whatever this object is and of course when bagpuss wakes up as you say brian all the other characters in this shop window will wake up 
and they will tell these stories. And it's done with mostly stop-motion animation, but when we get to production notes, we will talk about some other techniques in here, particularly for telling the little folk stories that form the heart of the episodes. Yes, that's right. So we should talk about some of the characters too. Well, let's talk about the saggiest, baggiest old cloth cat coming apart at the seams a little bit, Bagpus. The central character, the show revolves around him, Once awake, he's a rather puzzled, sometimes slightly grumpy character who needs things explaining to him by the rest of the cast. And fortunately, there is plenty of cast members who are quite good at explaining things for Bagpus. Yes, we have Professor Yaffle, who is a rather pompous old carved wooden woodpecker from a bookend who steps off of the bookend and becomes part of the action. And apparently Professor Yaffle was based on Bertrand Russell, a mathematician and philosopher. Wow, I don't think we're going to say that again on this podcast, Brian. It doesn't come up very often. And the other characters who will help Professor Yaffle often with dealing with the lost item, cleaning it, repairing it, are, of course, the mice. The mice from the marvellous mechanical mouse organ. So these are little adornments on a small musical organ device that sits in the shop window. And, of course, the mice from this mouse organ come to life and run around and talk in their little squeaky voices as they inspect and repair and restore the items that Emily has found. Yes, that's right. And we should mention that these initial characters, Bagpuss, Yaffle and the mice, are all voiced by Oliver Postgate himself. And then we have some characters who are not voiced by Oliver Postgate. Madeline, the ragdoll, voiced by Sandra Kerr, is a calm and sensible character who often explains what some of these objects are and often sings about the objects or sings these sort of English folk songs that are somehow related to whatever the object of the episode is. Yes, as you say, a very calm and sensible figure in the shop window and along with sort of her musical partner, Gabriel, the banjo-playing toad, voiced by the folk singer John Faulkner, provides the musical accompaniment often for Madeline by playing the banjo and singing along as they tell these little interesting folk stories through song. Yes, we really have a folk duo with the two of them in here. And that's sort of nice. I thought that worked quite well. The aforementioned Emily is also there, but we only see her in black and white photos that we see at the beginning and the end of each episode. Yes, indeed. As you say, we just sort of see Emily. We don't really hear from her. That's right. So each episode begins with a bit of narration about how Emily has found a thing which she brings to her shop window. And the narrator tells us this magical rhyme that Emily says that will wake Bagpuss up. And then all of these characters, apparently inanimate objects, come to life in this shop. Because, of course, the idea of toys coming to life, having a life of their own, particularly when Emily, although she said the rhyme, but when Emily doesn't seem to be around, this is a familiar one from childhood and from fairy stories, children's stories, 
Toy Story, even, you could say, Brian. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, from a, a whole variety of things. And having sort of magical aspects in there, too. We also have something where Bagpuss can think about things and you can visually see what he's thinking. He can sort of project it and it's just something Bagpuss can do. So there is sort of something magical to this world. Indeed. And as we've said, they've got this lost item to investigate, to repair, and to tell the story based on this item, which will often, as we've said, lead them to recount in a folk tale, sometimes, quite often, in fact, with songs from Madeline and Gabriel, or, and in fact, accompanied by the marvellous mechanical mouse organ, which is just a wonderful thing to be able to say. And then we get these stories animated in a variety of styles, including, as you said, Brian, a sort of like thought images from Bagpuss's head. We'll talk a little bit more about the animation in a moment, but it's all charmingly done. Yes, and it sort of goes from these stop-motion kinds of things to things that are a little more cartoon in style. And yeah, a variety of things there. And each episode ends with the item, the thing, being restored throughout the episode, being placed in the shop window, so its owner hopefully will find it. And of course, then you have Bagpuss and the other characters falling asleep and we go back to black and white and these still images lovely stuff so we should talk about our production notes for this show brian absolutely we talked about small films and peter Furman and oliver postgate when we talked about the clangers in british invaders 341 and 342 and how magical that we get to return to their charming cowshed studio on Peter Furman's farm in Bleen, which is near Canterbury in Kent here in the UK. You might remember from last time they had adapted this old cowshed into an animation studio. And this is one of their later colour shows from the 1970s using some stop-motion animation in contrast to some of their earlier 60s shows where they would do, oft, quite often they would do sort of 2D card-based or picture-based animation. And for this show, of course, the illustrator Peter Furman was responsible for doing the designs of all the characters and for producing the models, or some of them, and also for constructing the sets that they filmed on he was very much the sort of visual guy for this part of this production team. Yes, that's right. And you do get the sort of visual of having stop-motion characters on scale sets. That is the sort of larger look to this show that the other things fit into. Bagpuss was indeed a baggy old stuffed animal with a wire armature built into it so it could be animated and positioned into different positions for stop-motion work. Furman and Postgate actually were looking for a marmalade-colored striped cat, but when the cloth came back from dyeing, it was more of a pink-and-white sort of candy cane color, you know, candy stripe color, which Postgate later described as one of their best mistakes. So it did, in the end, work quite well for them. Yeah, I mean, the famous image of the pink-and-white striped bagpuss 
has sort of resounded through children's television over here for ages. That's right, yeah. And Madeline was a doll based on this nightdress cover that Joan Furman had actually made for their children. So she made a smaller version that could be used as the outer skin for most of this puppet with a head and a face added and so on. Now, interestingly, they faced some technical difficulties with two of the other puppets they use in. Uh, first of all, Gabriel the Toad, who had to play the banjo, and they realised that uh, the stop-motion techniques would be too difficult to show him actually playing the banjo quickly and realistically. So instead, Peter Furman designed and built an actual puppet mechanism, which he operated through the sort of tin can or cup that Gabriel is sitting on. They'd done a similar thing on one of the TV shows that they had done a Toad character on, a show called The Musical Box. Um, and interestingly... <laughs> Apparently, Peter Furman based Gabriel the Toad on an actual toad that lived in his basement when he and his wife lived in a flat by the River Thames. And they'd named this toad Gabriel after a character in the long-running BBC radio soap opera, The Archers. So... <laughs> That's where the name comes from, and the character actually comes from an actual toad. I presume the actual toad did not play the banjo. No, I guess not. <laughs> but Gabriel does, and he does it in what you would call, I guess, direct puppetry, which they just filmed his segments of him playing the banjo. Yeah, so it would have been done a bit more like a hand puppet. That's interesting. Yes. Professor Yaffle was originally going to be a human carved figure, carved from black bog oak and would be called Professor Bogwood. But the BBC thought he was too scary. So they went back to the drawing board and replaced Bogwood with Professor Yaffle as this woodpecker character based on Bertrand Russell, who Oliver Postgate had met once, apparently. As you say, a fascinating little snippet that he's based on Bertrand Russell Apparently, slight problems with animating Professor Yaffle because Professor Yaffle moves around the set and you can see his feet. And that caused some problems for the puppetry, I gather, for the stop motion work. Yes, that's interesting. I could see how that could be an issue. The scripts were written by Postgate, as was normally the case with these uh, small film shows. And many of them were based on European folktales and using the stories that the objects would tell were often coming from folktales and this sort of thing. And not only was he working with folktales, but of course he worked with a duo of folk singers, uh, Sandra Kerr and John Faulkner, who wrote all the music for the show and of course played the parts of Madeline and Gabriel. And they will talk a little bit more about the music in the next episode, Brian. But, uh, you know, they produce some charming little folk songs in the middle of each episode uh, to tell the stories. Yes, it was quite nicely done and it was definitely a big part of the show. And we talked a little bit about this last time, but they're very much like a family production team, Furman and Postgate. So, you know, we've already had Peter Furman's wife designing the Madeline 
doll or making the Madeline doll and Peter Fermin's daughter Emily in fact plays Emily in the black and white photos that start and finish each episode and not only that but the shop window where she keeps her items the outside of it was actually the bay window on um, the front of Peter Fermin's house so it's a real sort of homegrown production again which I just find so utterly fascinating and charming Brian. Yes and this the small films group was really good at doing that of uh, using things sort of at hand and things from family members and coming up with something that really worked quite well and was quite charming they shot the episodes in the cow shed using a mixture of puppetry and stop motion with a little bit of 2d animation for things like the folktales pretty much all drawn by peter Furman. and they calculated that they could produce two minutes of video per day although some of the sequences with the mice when you would have quite a number of mice moving in stop motion i think there were about four or five of them those sequences took much longer yes animating all those mice in a mouse organ must have taken some time bagpuss was first broadcast in a lunchtime slot on bbc starting on february 12th of 1974 and it has been repeated many times and it has been sold to other countries as well yes mostly to european countries we think not sure if it made it across the atlantic this show brian it may have, but I, but I don't think it had the same level of being repeated or being recognized in that way. It isn't a cultural touchstone in the same way. Which it is here, and we will talk a little bit about its legacy and reputation uh, in our next episode. I think the frequent repeats that the BBC did of this series over the years has played a big part of that, as you mentioned, Brian. And I could see doing it as a lunchtime slot that maybe kids who came home for lunch could see while they were they were having lunch. I could see that being something that would have some impact. Indeed. So availability here in Region 2. You can get the complete Bagpuss on DVD for only £3. There's a combination DVD set, which I've got, which includes uh, not only the complete uh, Bagpuss, but it also includes Clangers and Ivor the Engine for £20, which seems like a great deal to introduce your kids to these wonderful shows. Is that the original Clangers or the new one? That's the original Clangers. Interesting. Or you can stream it quite easily. It is part of Amazon Prime, if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, or if you have BritBox, it's also included with BritBox. Or you can buy it to stream for a mere fiver in SD or just a pound more in HD to see all 13 episodes if you're not a Prime or BritBox subscriber. So plenty of quick, cheap and easy ways to watch it over here in Region 2. In Region 1, there is no release. I am not aware of any North American distribution for this one. So come back and join us next time. We're going to talk a little bit about the folk tales. We're going to talk about the rich legacy that these 13 short episodes created. 
We're going to do some spin-offs. We might even get into a slightly strange area about the connections between Bagpus and folk horror or the study of something called hauntology. Slightly new territory for us next time to talk about, Brian. That should be interesting to get into. We will also give our own thoughts and reviews and let you know if we will recommend it or not. Until then, you can find us at BritishInvaders.com with all of our past episodes there. Or if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find us there. And we are on Twitter as at BritInvadersPod. So please come over and join in on the conversations on Facebook and Twitter. Yes, please join us there. I'll also note that British Invaders is a proud member of the Voice of Geeks Network at vognetwork.com, where you'll find a host of podcasts, you'll find gaming channels, you'll find streaming, you'll find lots of content. Drop by the Voice of Geeks at vognetwork.com. Absolutely. So thank you for listening, and this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, Eamon in England also signing off.